Well, hello again. <laughs> As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. PCC Sustain Me is jazzed to have joined forces with The Bridge, Portland Community College's student newspaper. This means there will be a weekly column online for your eyeballs to enjoy with the weekly episodes. Isn't that nice? And we are super duper stoked to be working in partnership with Gypsum, the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network as well. You can connect and access the program via gpsen.org too. Now the podcast has multiple cozy places to call home. (laughs) Okay, well, back to the program we go. From Portland Community College, this is PCC Sustain Me. I'm Joe Colhane, and today I'll be talking with Kevin Wilhelm, CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting, an author, public speaker, and so much more. Boom, boom, darkness falls, headlights in the afternoon. Me, oh my, how time does fly. <laughs> Two weeks have already gone by since I had the pleasure of sitting down with Kevin Wilhelm at the Washington, Oregon Higher Education Sustainability Conference held in Seattle this year. WOHESC was actually held specifically this year at the University of Washington. Kevin and I had a great conversation, and I'm looking forward to getting into that. But before I move any further, I would like to acknowledge that this program is being recorded on the traditional village sites of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Bands of the Chinook, Tualatin Kalapuya, Molala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. Multnomah is a band of Chinooks that lived in this area. We thank the descendants of these tribes for being the original stewards and protectors of these lands since time immemorial. We also acknowledge that Portland, Oregon has the ninth largest urban Native American population in the U.S., with over 380 federally recognized tribes represented in the urban Portland metropolitan area. We also acknowledge the systemic policies of genocide, relocation, and assimilation that still impact many indigenous Native American families today. We are honored by the collective work of many Native nations, leaders, and families who are demonstrating resilience, resistance, revitalization, healing, and creativity. We are honored to be guests upon these lands. Thank you, and thanks also to our colleagues at the Portland State University Indigenous Nation Studies Program for crafting this acknowledgement. And... While this part of the program is being recorded here in what we call Portland, I did want to take a moment to also note that the University of Washington acknowledges the Coast Salish peoples of the land and the institution that it is upon. And this land touches the shared waters of all tribes and bands within the Suquamish, Tulalip, and Muckleshoot nations. Well, as already noted, I had a great conversation with Kevin Wilhelm at Wohesk, and I'm really pleased to be able to share it here with you. 
Kevin Wilhelm is considered one of the world's preeminent business consultants and teachers in the field of sustainability. He is the CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting, a consulting firm focused on demonstrating the bottom line business benefits of sustainability and then leading companies through successful implementation. Beyond this, he is a public speaker and author of four books, with one in the works, as we will discuss. And it was truly a pleasure speaking with Kevin about what he has been up to, and also to take a bit of time to go over the conference itself and examine what was taking place in real time between the conference and its organization and organizers, and then uh, what was happening with a lot of the students who were there at the conference who were looking for more of an environmental justice focus. Well, in all, I just really enjoyed our talk, and I sincerely hope you will as well. I'm going to go ahead and get into that talk now. Does that sound good to you? <laughs> okay, so we're at Wohesk, Washington, Oregon, Higher Education Sustainability Conference. Uh, last night when I met you, I saw you uh, were signing one of your new books, which was cool. Um, so I don't even know where to start. I mean, you're, uh, you're CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting, mm-hmm. and you're here in the Seattle yep. greater area. Yeah, we're located. That's cool. Um, what? Uh, so yeah, you mentioned just like with school. Um, are you? You're, it seems like you're mostly in the more private uh, sector or businesses at this point right now. But you still have a lot of connections to the higher education. Yeah. You mind just maybe starting with a little bit of that sure. background? Yeah. So at the high level. Um, so hello, listeners. Thanks for having me, Joe. Um, uh, so yeah, our firm, Sustainable Business Consulting, we are strategic advisors to organizations that are looking to um, realize the business value and innovation from sustainability. Um, so not only through better social environmental practices, but how can they make more money, enhance their brand. So to your point, Joe, a lot of our clients, you know, 10 years ago, were in the kind of government sector. Um, and so we're getting going, but it's almost uh, exclusively flipped to, um, you know, the private sector and some nonprofits. But for the majority, it's um, corporations that are trying to, um, you know, not only do the right thing, but realize that they need to go where the market is going, where industry is going, and, and how do they stay current and attract the next generation of employees. On the education front, um, you know, 14 years ago uh, with, you know, out of a complete whim, um, Antioch University of Seattle said, hey, we're thinking of uh, creating a course on, uh, you know, sustainable finance, and we're looking for someone to teach about sustainability in business. Would you would you do that? And I was like, well, surely there's got to be somebody in town better than me. And they were like, no, there's nobody. Can you do it? So, um, so I started, you know, with that first class, and, you know, 10, you know, 10 years in, I had pretty much taught you know, the sustainability aspect of accounting, finance, marketing, operations, statistics, um, uh, strategy, you know, you name it, I, uh, entrepreneurship, I kind of, kind of taught the whole MBA around sustainability. Um, and so then about three or four years ago, we were uh, actually at AISHI, which is like the larger uh, conference of what Wohesk is. And School after school kept approaching me saying, do you have any curriculum or things you could share? And so what we wanted to do is, you know, there's, there's only one of me. I can't teach everywhere and run a global consulting business at the same time. So what we did was we took the content that we had and we made it uh, 
shareable online multimedia um, so that any uh, instructor or school could take it and utilize it and get that education because what we really need to do is we need an army of sustainability evangelists that are really going to push this message. I mean, we only have 12 years to really solve the climate crisis. So I wasn't going to get caught up in the traditional academic sense of like, oh, are you edging faculty or tenured or, you know, get between universities. I wanted to get the message um, that we, you know, that we are paid to do for corporations. I wanted to get that out to as many hundreds and thousands of students as possible because in the next three or five years, that's when we really got to make the difference. Right. Um, and then... Forgive me, I have not yet read any of your books, but I'm excited to. Um, I know, I know, I apologize. But uh, I'm curious, because I haven't read them, you've probably addressed these questions in those books. Um, but yeah, I, I hope so, right? Um, but yeah, so, so I don't know, you swing between educating students, which is crucial right now, as you mentioned. And by the way, I still am blown away by the fact that it is not 12 years anymore. We're already at 11 yeah. and flying through this year, which is just bananas to me. But that's an aside. <laughs> um, the books, uh, how, how have those been informing your trajectory too? You know, um, are those curriculum based uh, for students as well as uh, sustainably business leaders, people who want to go out there in the workforce? Is it, you know... There's three of them now, if I understand correct. I actually have four, but um, how it all started was uh, I wasn't ever thinking of them as they would become textbooks or anything like that. Um, for lack of a better term, like a lot of people in sustainability, um, you just kind of learn on the fly and do stuff. I had been flying all around the country giving pretty much the same set series of talks about, hey, there's a business case for sustainability. There's a, uh, you know, you know, there's all these reasons that businesses should do it from a profit perspective, from a brand perspective, from an employee engagement perspective. And oh, by the way, we need to save the planet and society at the same time. After you've given that talk a hundred times, I've been approached by, uh, you know, several people who said, you know, you ought to write a book on this. And I was like, I don't know how to write a book. That's what authors do. That's what really smart people learn to do. Um, and then one day I actually sat down and started thinking, okay, if I was going to write a book, what would it be? And it would, it would kind of come off my series of talks. You know, there's like 10 major points that I wanted to have. Could I write 10 chapters in a book? And, you know, just kind of sat down and started throwing it. At the same time, this was right in early 20, 2008. And the day that Bear Stearns went down, which was the first big sign that the economy was really in danger. I thought, oh my gosh, if the economy goes down, um, everyone's going to do the classic, you know, pullback that they do whenever, you know, we didn't sign at the Rio summit in 1992 because George Bush thought, well, we're heading to recession. We can't have businesses. Clinton didn't sign in Johannesburg in 2002 because, uh, you know, we just had the dot-com bubble burst. And so it was like, oh, my God, everyone's going to pull back from all these great moves that we're doing on climate because they're going to say it's not going to be good for business. So my first book, Return on Sustainability, what I wanted to do was put something out in the marketplace for business leaders, for people that were trying to make this, this case that, hey, you, this is a way you can actually increase profitability and address climate change in an uncertain economy. So I worked on it most of the spring and summer and had actually given the draft the day that Solomon Brothers went down, which was now um, September 15th. And I know this well because 
um, I had a whole section on finance and I had all these banks like about well, here's what, what Covey is doing and Washington Mutual and they were gone. They were gone like within two days. I mean, we're talking multi-billion dollar companies with 50, 70, 100,000 employees gone the next day. I literally, you know, right from here, we had just won a contract to do the carbon footprint from, Carb uh, from Washington Mutual. As I'm driving from here to West Seattle, I'm listening to NPR and I hear, the FDIC has just recently uh, closed down Washington Mutual and has been turned to Chase. And I was like, I was in the building 45 minutes ago signing a contract. And then now the company was gone. Um, so I pulled the book back, you know, put, took out a bunch of those examples, but, but felt it needed to go out there. Um, and so the first book was really, we need to make the case. And unfortunately, that case still needs to be made because we're headed towards another uncertain economy. The second book, Making Sustainability Stick, I was actually asked by the Financial Times Press, hey, we liked your first book. We really want a, a handbook for people that are trying to do it, like best practices. What's a guidebook that you want to do? And again, now I you know, consulted with about 60 different organizations, ranging from you know, the top five of the Fortune 500 down to mom and pop businesses. But there were the same issues. And so there was the technical fixes, you know, showing them what to do. But there was also the behavior change aspect of it, the employee engagement, the leadership aspects, the communication aspects of it that everyone doesn't really pay that much attention to. And so I thought, okay, well, I've had my experience, but I'm going to go and interview the 40 best thought leaders I know in the sustainability space, all the people that you've read books on, who speak at conferences, um, and my clients. And so, um, so I interviewed them and got their input as well. So it's really the second book was just not me. It's like, here is the, the guidebook for successful implementation. But luckily, on the second book, because my publisher with the Financial Times Press, they knew about textbooks, they said, well, we could turn this into a textbook if you do the following things. So I wrote it with that it could be both. Um, and it's actually been used now as a textbook for about 65 different colleges and universities, which, again, I'm a consultant. You know, I'm not a... Uh, a book writer for academic publications, but it's become that, and the first book has been adopted that way too a little bit. The third book was purely, it's called Sustainability Jobs, um, and it's exactly what it is. It's designed to be the complete guide for helping people land their, their dream green job. You know, we're here at Wohask. There's um, hundreds of students that want to go out and change the world. They want to do it, but they're all like, where do I get jobs? How do I get my foot in the door? And unfortunately, nowadays, it's really hard for people coming out of undergrad to get their first job because most of the job descriptions out there um, say they need two, three years of experience. And how do you get that experience? Um, and so, you know, I'd had about, you know, 1,500 students I've taught over, the, over my career. And, and also, I was getting asked by a lot of people in their 40s and 50s who were wanting to make that shift. You know, they'd been a lawyer for 20 years. Now they wanted to do something with their life. Or they had been a sustainability director at one company. Now they wanted to shift and go somewhere else. So, um, again, I, you know, started writing down some thoughts. My wife was going to go backpacking that weekend. And I thought, oh, I'll write a blog. I'll write, like, a three-page blog. She was gone the whole weekend. I was lonely. And uh, I ended up banging about 65 pages in Word, you know. And I was like, holy cow. This was, like, I just wrote, like, a 100-page book. But the next day, I was at a Mariners game, and I was sitting next to the director of sustainability from REI, Starbucks, and one of the top lawyers kind of in the space. And I had mentioned that I had done this, and they all started laughing, going, yeah, we knew somebody needed to write that book, and we're glad you did it. And I kind of said, yeah, well, what thoughts would you have? And it dawned on me, like, what I should do is reach out to all the people in the community, my friends, my colleagues, but, but 
not just look at the businesses, but um, how we could do it with nonprofits, government agencies, academic institutions, people that want to get into this space. So I interviewed 30 other sustainability thought leaders and asked them what were their tips too, and they um, and they put their tips in as well. So the book is really um, not just here's what Kevin Wilhelm has thought about it, but here's what 30 of the top thought leaders in the sustainability space would tell anyone and they're do, they're having the same conversations too and we're all completely overwhelmed because we could you know have coffee with someone every breakfast lunch and dinner or every meal paid of every job seeker but that's not very efficient so this is a way to get that message out quickly and i priced the book at 10 bucks because i was like i want to get this just to anybody who can afford it um and so that that's really where the third book came about awesome now you mentioned there's a fourth book though what's the the latest so the, the fourth book is called Intangible Values, and the reason I wrote that was because um, increasingly employers, whether it's at Facebook or someone who wants to do something in sustainability or Google, they are hiring people for the technical expertise, but they, what they're really looking for, what are those intangibles? What does the person have? Do they have drive? Are they somebody who's going like, to get the job done? Do they have critical thinking skills? Uh, how do they interact with people? Are they leaders? Can they work in a team? And I, I really felt like the book Sustainability Jobs is really the kind of what, you know, how do you, you know, how do you set yourself up to get the job, but how do you talk about yourself? And increasingly in the sustainability space, and even my own, you know, experience was that we were looking to hire people, um, and we would, you know, you get 200 and 300 applications for a, a job. How do you go through all that? When you get it, you really want to know, can this person work here? Do they have what it works in for our culture? So the book is called Intangible Values, and it's really a, uh, kind of a life lessons book of myself and several of my staffers who, you know, played sports. You always hear the metaphor of like, oh, you know, such a hard worker, you know, played football, you know, and grinded out, or basketball, they took a thousand shots. But no one ever talks about arts. No one ever says like, oh, you're really going to be an amazing business person because you are dedicated to dance or piano or you were a singer, or you were a performer. And what I found was that those skills are just as translatable and the same characteristics. So what I wanted to do was put out a book that helped other people talk about their intangible values and why they were going to be a good fit. And I used a lot of my experience for that. And so it's, it's a real compliment to sustainability jobs. But it was something that I wanted to tell, like, the, the captain of a you know, college soccer team or volleyball team, you know, how do you – how do you take that and instead of just having on your resume, like, you know, play volleyball captain, you know, but you have leadership, you know how to work with a team, you know how to motivate, you know how to communicate with people in different ways. Some people need to be pushed. Some people need to be supported. Some people need to be yelled at and can take it. You know, what, what are the different ways that you can do that? Um, and so that was designed to help the sustainability professional, you know, be able to really um, authentically explain their value proposition because what we find is within organizations – whoever is the sustainability director or coordinator, whatever their role is, they get kind of pigeonholed pretty quick by the upper management. And their role is actually they see across the company. They see everything because they're talking with everyone. And how do they take that? How do they explain their value to a CEO or CFO within an organization to protect their, you know, what they're doing? They had to explain the intangible value they're bringing to the organization. Right. That sounds extremely valuable information for people uh, and it it made me think of something we just touched on before uh, started recording about the um, just amount of students here who are on the social justice front and equity, inclusion, diversity as not just uh, concepts but putting into practice. I'm wondering if you and your consulting or maybe um, 
if there are businesses that aren't known as sustainability driven are starting to approach you more and bring those things to the forefront or have you seen that i know because yeah. this 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 conference as we speak is almost being co-opted by a lot of people who are like we we need to change the narrative a little bit too um, i'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that or... absolutely and um you know social justice has been kind of like the middle sibling uh to sustainability for a long time you know it just doesn't quite get the same amount of attention environment is very easy it's tangible i can understand reducing energy water trash waste and recycling um you can understand about getting people out of cars and everything when you talk about diversity equity inclusion to some people it's all the same thing um and it's also an uncomfortable topic um usually if you're dealing with someone who's a white male or female um they've kind of had a leg up um, and they know it intellectually, but, you know, it's not necessarily sometimes their fault that they've had that. Um, but how diversity, equity, inclusion has typically been brought up uh, in the past was, you know, kind of putting them on the defensive. And uh, what we're seeing here, I think, is really important because if you're going to have sustainability last for the long term, you have to have diversity, you have to have equity, inclusion. Um, I learned this firsthand. I was working for an ecotourism firm. Um, and I was, you know, traveling all around the world and I showed up in Zimbabwe, you know, which had not only the best farming practices in all of Africa, but had some of the best game parks. But, you know, when the economy went up in flames, what did people do? They went into the game parks and shot the rhinos because they were hungry because they needed the food, you know. And you got to think about from an inclusion perspective, if you want to preserve the environment, you got to be taking care of the people, you know. And, and that goes all the way down. You know, it's one thing to get people to, you know, back in the day, it was like, get everyone into Priuses and, okay, you're doing great. But really, if, if you're then sending all the, you know, diesel trucks, a lot of particular matter through the low-income neighborhoods and you're spiking asthma rates, the people who can't afford it, what you're doing to them, who, you know, they can't, you just, you're just further setting it out and creating that divide. Um, so diversity, equity, inclusion, it's essential. If you're going to have sustainability, you have to have it. That being said, people really um, need to, it, there needs to be a more common definition about what each one of those is so people can feel more comfortable without it. Um, I'm not surprised that this, this conference has been kind of co-opted by the students. Um, and it hasn't been, wasn't really explained to them that this conference was set up to do X and you're coming here to talk about Y. Um, and so there needs to be a new track and things you're doing. And you're, so to answer on the first side, that's where millennials are coming from. Where we see it within organizations, um, when we bring it up, we see two different divergent paths. One who get it and know they need to do something. You know, there's very few companies like Starbucks who like, whoops, we screwed up. Now we're going we're gonna to invest massively in this to, to do this. Most companies are in the okay, we've got a diversity policy and an officer, and um, yeah, the equity inclusion, we have a statement. And you know, I go to them and I say, yeah, that's, that's awesome groundbreaking stuff in 1990. Um, you know, but unfortunately, it's 2019, and you are way behind. And literally, I had this conversation yesterday with a major retailer, and uh, you'll feel good. You're not wearing any of their clothes, um, but I am. Um, and we had this conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion. We pinged, we dinged them on their sustainability score because of it. And they just kept saying, it's not really an issue. We hire from the communities that, that we represent. And I say, do you? I see a lot of white people, men and women, most, you know, in this organization, but I don't see a whole lot of inclusion. 
Um, well, we don't discriminate. I'm like, that's great in 1990. Um, but, you know, what are you doing to outreach in that area? And just helping them understand when I finally said to them, I said, okay, look, you know, Starbucks shut their stores and they paid the fine and they took a massive PR blitz. But, you know, and they talked about how much money they spent on the training, but do you know how much they lost in sales? They lost millions. And they're going to be held out as, luckily they, they shifted the narrative. But had they not, they would have, you know, I mean, I use this with my students. I'll say, what company do you think about sweatshop labor? And they'll say Nike. Every single one of them. Every single time. And I've been doing this for 15 years. Well, Nike did this in 1986. And it's actually cleaned up their act. And they're way ahead of almost every other retailer. But it's still doing that. Now, if you say, who do you think about with oil spill? A Gen Xer will say Exxon. A millennial will say BP. And it's ingrained in them. Now, there's been a gazillion other spills that have happened, but that's there, and that's kind of what's going to happen with diversity and inclusion if companies don't, don't uh, take it seriously. And I'll tell you when people are saying, are they coming to us? Yes, they are, but one of the things that we have a diverse workforce, what I found is there's really two avenues for it. There's a lot of white males who are executives who've gone through this training before and have been very much put on the defensive because somebody from a, you know, um, a different look has brought up issues that needed to be brought up. And they immediately go, I'm not a bad person. You know, I, you know why are you coming after me? And what we've been able to do is say, look, I'm, I'm a white male too. I have the same issues you do. Um, but you need to be aware of these things and you need to make these changes and you need to be proactive. And this is how, this is what a positive impact you could do. And when you show them like, here's all the good you can do on this issue, um, then they get excited, but they're usually in this defensive crouch. And you're seeing that actually here in the conference. The students are all up in arms saying, you know, where's the social justice? And everyone's going, whoa, 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 this is a, this is a conference that's not about that. Um, yeah. Uh for the sake of time, yep. uh, we just have a couple minutes. Do you have um, any last thoughts, parting things? You've shared a lot already, so sure. I thank you. But um, anything to potential students across the higher education who are like, I mean, you have these books, of course, as references, but uh, just anything else that's really relevant right now. Um, you just touched on it again, right. of course, but anything else before we wrap up? Something that's brand new that we're starting at my company, actually we started yesterday, was um, everyone who's listening to this, everyone who goes to PCC and, um, you know, is interested in this topic, everybody at this conference who's thinking about sustainability. Uh, what I've realized is sustainability can be that bridge. It can be that, that way of finding common ground between the tribalism that exists in our society right now, between the Republicans and Democrats, between the pro-life and the pro-choice, between the gun owner and the gun control advocate, um, between the climate denier and the climate advocate. Right now, everyone's so entrenched with like what's in the media and in social media and their own thoughts, and everyone's only talking to themselves. Everyone who's listening to this podcast and everyone who's at um, this conference or any other sustainability conference has an opportunity to see where's that common ground that we can turn down the heat, turn down the volume, and find the way that people will do better. And that's the missing thing. And so... Um, our firm is actually working on that. We've had a lot of companies uh, approach us to actually figure out how to do this within their own employees in terms of engagement, but how do they reach different stakeholder groups in a, in a different way. Um, and I'm actually, you know, uh, and I'll just tip you off here, Joe, um, I think I'm going to write my fifth book on that topic because I'm, there's so much out there. 
Um, and the message needs to be told, especially as we head into 2020, which might be one of the most divisive elections we ever have. Um, but there's an opportunity for people in sustainability to change the discussion. So if the climate denier is feeling attacked and the climate advocate saying, we only have 11 years left and stop doing what you're doing, you're destroying the planet. No one likes to be told that. What they want to be told is, hey, you know what? You make this change. You could, you could do better. You could be more inclusive. You could be a rock star in your community. You could make more money. You could actually do better. And, you know, come on the cool bus. Have fun with the cool bus. Instead, everyone's like, ah, you know, you're not doing that. And, you know, I'm from rural Ohio. So anyone listening to this uh, podcast, you know, I'm out in Seattle now. But when I go home to rural Ohio, you know, uh, the people in Seattle or Portland who think that um, Trump is – the you know the greatest threat to our site when i go home everyone thinks it's bernie sanders and the democrats and they're using the same language and the same fear but it's in their world and in their facts that they have so we have to find that common ground and that's what i did i i sat down with some of these individuals who um quite frankly uh i would have deemed uh not someone i would want to have a conversation with but i just said somebody's got to have this conversation and, uh, and I think that's where the movement's headed. And I, Joe, I, I just so appreciate you having me on this podcast today. You do a great job. And uh, for all the listeners out there, um, if there's any way that we can help you in furthering this on, check out our books, check out our website. We're at sustainablebizconsulting.com. Um, you can go to my personal website, kevin-wilhelm.com. Um, and be happy to you know, further help you in your efforts as you move forward. Well, that was an enjoyable chat I had, and I sincerely hope you enjoyed it as well. I thank Kevin Wilhelm so kindly for taking a bit of time out of the conference to chat, and also want to extend it even further and thank him for the work and effort he has put forth to ideally help us collectively move in this direction we really kind of desperately need to move in at this point. I really appreciated the last sentiments uh, and Kevin's insight into how important it is to find our common ground and create not only more civil discourse, but also a way to see things from each other's perspectives in this often very polarized political and social climate we're in. And speaking of the climate, it's getting late on this Thursday night on the 14th of March, and tomorrow across the globe there's going to be a youth-led climate strike, which I have to admit I am stoked about. Greta Thunberg has helped spark a movement, and I'm glad she's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, because by golly, she deserves it. <laughs> well, as this episode winds down, I also would like to give thanks to all that helped make Wohesk possible this year. And while I'm at it, I also would like to give a shout out to the folks of the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network who helped put on this past week's sustainability symposium as well. As uh, report after report come out addressing our environmental breakdown situations, I take some solace in knowing there are people all over the place dedicating a good portion of their life to fixing this mess we've got ourselves in. And a shout out to students everywhere who, like me, are deep in the throes of finals and are on the brink of exhaustion and madness. You've got this. Spring break is almost here. <laughs> Big thanks also to my darling wife, Rachel Robinson, for the intro and outro music. And uh, this episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Joe Colhane. Thanks for tuning in, as always, folks. Get some rest. 
take care of yourself, and by all means, let us find a way to love them all. <laughs> Every last one we meet. Thank you.